Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brew Church Podcast. My name is Fabian. I am your host, and I'm glad that you are listening. If you would, please hit the plus button on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify as a way to help more people find this audio content. This audio is recordings from our Sunday gatherings. And if you would like to support what happens here on this podcast or in the Brew Church community in general, there's a giving button in the description of this. Uh, We hope that this is helpful for you and that you gain some good tools to lead to a life of abundance. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Thank you all for being here tonight. I know it's been hot. Like, I feel like we're entering into those weeks of summer where the heat and the humidity are just, like, sticking and kind of feel like you're suffocating a little bit. So I appreciate y'all deciding to leave your house to come here tonight. (laughs) I'm really glad you're here. If we haven't met yet, my name is Amy, but everybody calls me Amers. And I'm a part of the content team here at Brew Church. And I'm wrapping up our series of myths, right? We've been in this series talking about these myths that we've been told and that we believe that may not necessarily be true and how they've impacted us, right? We've talked about the myth of powerlessness, the myth of unlovability, of settling, of vulnerability. And tonight we're going to be talking about the myth of self-sufficiency. And I remember when the content team, we got together and we were looking at this list, I saw that and I was like, what? Like, this is a myth? What do you mean? Like, isn't this something we're supposed to be striving for? I mean, I know I've been striving for it ever since I was a kid. You know, I'm the youngest of three, and so my siblings never wanted to hang out with me because I was the baby. And not only was I the youngest of them, but I was also the youngest of all the cousins on both sides. So really nobody wanted to hang out with me. And it got to the point where, you know, your parents, I don't know, is anyone the oldest child, like a middle child and had younger siblings? Okay, a few of us. Did your parents ever force you to bring your younger sibling along with you going places? No, wow, that must be nice. Um, My parents did, and my sister, who is the one who had to do it the most, hated it. She hated it every time. I enjoyed it. She hated it. And I remember this time when I was about six years old. We were at my cousin's house. They lived in Lawson at the time had all the land, all the animals. So their house was the place to be. And my sister, my cousin, and I were all playing in the living room when all of a sudden, those two took off running to her bedroom. And I, following suit, run behind them. But before I could get into the bedroom, they closed the door and were like, only seven and eight-year-olds are allowed in and (laughs) shut the door. And I was like, excuse me? So being the rightful baby sister, baby cousin that I was, I went and told on them. <laughs> went right up to my aunt and was like, um, they're being mean to me. And looking back, as I was writing this and I remembered that story, I was like, that's probably why they didn't want to hang out with me. I tended to be the tattletale of the family, so things kind of started clicking in, into gear when I was remembering that. But it started this message of like, well, I don't need y'all anyway. I can go be by myself, play by myself. I'll be fine by all alone. And those small things that started like creeping in that message kept continuing as I got older. A few years ago, I was hanging out with some friends at a crepery, and we were just catching up on life, eating some delicious crepes, and I got a phone call from my dermatologist's office. And I was expecting it because I had gone a few days prior and gotten some biopsies done. See, the thing is, I have 
a rare medical condition called Gorlin syndrome. It's genetic. And it can cause a bunch of different things. It affects the skin, the bones, internal organs. You name it, it probably does something with it. And I was getting to a point where I was starting to get skin cancers, which is one of the main things that it can bring on. And so a few days prior, I'd had about four spots biopsied, and they were calling me back about the test results. And they told me, hey, like three out of the four spots are positive for skin cancer. And up to that point, it had gotten to where, for the previous seven months, I had had a procedure at least once a month to get a spot removed. So these things weren't slowing down anytime soon. And as she was telling me the results, my dermatologist told me, she's like, you know, we don't think that doing these procedures is the best course of action anymore. We want to put you on a chemotherapy medicine to treat the spots that you have and to prevent ones from forming. And as she was telling me this, I was just trying to process everything that she was telling me. And I could feel the tears starting to swell up in my eyes, right? Like, that's just such a scary thing to hear, such a scary thing to process. You don't know what's going to come, any of that. And as soon as I started feeling those tears in my eyes, this little voice in my head came in. And it was like, nope, we're shutting that down. You are in a public place. You are not going to be in this corner of this crepery crying. Your friends just told you the struggles that they are facing. You don't need to burden them with the stuff you're going through. Nip it in the butt and keep it going. But I feel like we've all had experiences like this, right? Like maybe not one super similar to that. I hope not. But experiences where we felt that way. Maybe growing up you were the oldest. I don't know. A lot of people said no to this. But maybe you were the oldest and you were given adult responsibilities a lot quicker in life and you succeeded at it. So you were known as the self-reliant individual that people could see that set the example. Maybe you were told that you're too much or what you're going through is too much and just to keep it all in fear that you would be burdening someone if you shared that with them or even the fear of like rejection or judgment that could come from that. Maybe you have opened up to someone and that relationship could have ended in pain to where you just built your inner walls up higher and was like, well, I'm not going to subject myself to that again. But even at the bare minimum, we see this in society everywhere, right? Like even in the stereotypical gender norms, we see that for what is supposed to be like masculine is pushing forward, not needing any help from anyone, keep it moving. And we see this in the superwoman image, right? She's this woman who can take on everything by herself. And it's this thing where society has pretty much put the expectation on everyone of being independent, of being self-reliant, while masking it as something to strive for and to be proud of. There's this story in Luke 10 where there are two sisters, Mary and Martha, I'm going to try my best not to get those two confused, who lived in this town that Jesus was passing through. And Martha invited Jesus into her home. But while Martha was busy with all the preparations and getting everything done, I mean, it's like that time when, you know, you're a kid and your mom is like, hey, go clean your room. We have company coming over. And you're like, I don't know why the company will be in my room, but okay. <laughs> She's busy doing all the tasks while Mary's just chilling in the living room listening to stories from Jesus. And it got Mary 
Did I say the right sister? Martha. Hmm. Got Martha so unhinged, so upset, that she went into the living room and went straight up to Jesus and was like, um, excuse me, do you not see what she's doing? She's not helping me. Can you tell her to come help me? And now there are two things that I want to take away from this story. The first one is looking at how Martha was feeling the pressure, how she was tackling everything by herself and she was getting upset, which I'm sure we can all relate to, whether it be, you know, things aren't getting done fast enough or the pressure of everything on your shoulders is just continuing to build and continuing to feel overwhelming. And here's the kicker. Here's the first part of this myth of self-sufficiency is that because not only is this a myth, it's a straight up lie, okay? We will never be completely 100% self-sufficient. And I'm sorry if that like bursts any bubbles. It kind of like hurts to say to myself, but we won't, right? Like if we even think about it at the most basic level, we need trees to produce the oxygen that we need to breathe. We need animals and plants and other food sources to provide us with stuff to nurture our bodies. Like we cannot survive, much less thrive, off of being self-sufficient. We're just not built to do it alone. I mean, did you know that our brain has these like chemical receptors that light up every time we make human connections? It literally turns on and tells us like you've been seen, you're safe. But sometimes these connections can fall out and it can be painful and it can hurt. And so we find conventional ways to avoid that pain, like building up our walls or leaning towards coping mechanisms or isolating ourselves from everyone. Because this pain is at least pain that we know and we're familiar with. We know how to live with that kind of pain. But withdrawing from other relationships sets us up to be victims of our own negative thoughts. It becomes a voice in our head, one that we are almost impossible to overcome unless we are engaged in positive relationships with others. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. It's like, okay, Amherst, yeah, cheesy, but we get it. Like, we need community. We need people in our lives. That's all great and dandy, but that's hard. I get that. It's super hard. And this is where the second part of the story is that I wanted to look at from this story. See, Martha was realizing that she couldn't do it all by herself. And so when she saw her sister just chilling in the other room, she got mad, and I would be too. I can totally feel for her. But instead of going directly up to her sister and being like, hey, I need help. Can you come help me real quick? She went away from the person she was mad at and went to Jesus to complain about it. And I wonder how many of us have witnessed this or have been in an experience like this. When we are in need of something and when we don't get what we need from someone and we get upset. I mean, I don't know how many people are like in a relationship here or are married here, but I've heard a lot about that, of like a lot of miscommunication that then leads to arguments, and you're like, I can't read your mind, I'm not Edward Cullen, like, <laughs> I need you to tell me what you need. <laughs> and this goes with all relationships, right? Friendships, mentorship, everything. And this is where the second part of the myth with self-sufficiency comes into play. Because not only does it disconnect us from others by telling us that we don't need anything from others, it tells us or doesn't allow ourselves to know what we need. It disconnects us from our true selves 
And by doing that, we're not able to directly tell others what we need. Because in this idea of being self-reliant and doing everything ourselves, we were told to suffer in silence. We were told that this is better because at least you can say you're independent. At least you can say you're handling it. You don't need help. You know, you can handle whatever adversity life decides to throw at you. And somewhere along the, the line, this idea gave us this message, message, oh my goodness, that sharing what we need is a weakness. Being vulnerable is a weakness. Reaching out for help is a weakness. But what would it look like for us to see those things as strengths? A few weeks ago, Josh gave a message about the myth of vulnerability. And he talked about how it's hard to be vulnerable until you have someone to be vulnerable for. And it got me thinking, right? Like vulnerability and self-sufficiency in my mind go very much hand in hand, right? Like we hold back our vulnerabilities in order to tackle things on our own, but we've talked about how we can't survive like that. And it gave me this idea of what if that person is you? What if the person you need to be vulnerable and open yourself up to human connections with is you? Because us as humans, we need community. We are our best selves, our healthiest selves, our happiest selves when we have positive interactions with others. And no matter how hard we train ourselves to be completely self-sufficient, something is going to be required from somewhere else. It just is. And that's okay if it takes time to figure out what we need. Like this message of relying on ourselves and being independent has been pushed on us pretty much our whole lives. That it would be normal, right, for it to take some time to figure out for yourself what you need. There's this memoir called Love Warrior by Glennon Doyle. I don't know if anyone has read it. But Glennon talks about her battles with bulimia and alcoholism and the events in her life as she's going through a divorce, right? She feels like her world is just falling apart around her. But instead of dealing with her feelings and everything going on, she would suppress them. She would bottle them up and just put on a happy face and keep dealing with what life was throwing at her. And there's this one chapter where after a therapy session, Glennon's therapist challenged her to find ways to do the work to get back to herself, making her whole again. So Glennon decided to go to yoga to do the work. And there's a little excerpt from the chapter that I'm wanting to read to you guys. One morning after beginning my yoga experiment, I dragged myself into the studio. The fear and rage about what was happening in my marriage and my family weighed down on me like lead gravity. The receptionist told me that my usual teacher was out sick and pointed me toward an unfamiliar classroom. It was one million degrees in that room. I felt so upset by this. My life was hard enough without broken air conditioning with which to contend. I can relate to that. As I planned my escape, the instructor walked in and said, thank you for coming to hot yoga. Let's decide on our intentions for the class. I stared at her in disbelief. Hot yoga? What kind of fresh hell is this? <laughs> the rest of the students stated their fancy spiritual intentions, and all I could think about was how perfect all their lives must be and how painful and hopeless mine seemed at the moment. By the time it was my turn to share my intention, I had tears in my eyes. I managed to say, my intention is just to stay on this mat and make it through whatever is about to happen without running out of here. 
And for the next 90 minutes, I sat still on my mat. It was excruciating. All the ghosts I had stuffed under my bed when I got married, all my fears for my family's future, all the pain and rage I'd been denying caught up with me as I sat. I had no way to escape, nothing to use to numb myself from the feelings. I just had to sit in the middle of it all. I had to stay on my mat and let it scare me. And when it was over, I was still alive. I'd stopped running and faced my pain. Glennon was taking on everything in her life by herself. And for the first time without using any of her old coping vices, she had to sit down in the uncomfortability and the pain of it all. She was shown, just like most of us, that she had to suffer in silence. To just put on a face, pretend like everything's good and keep going. But there comes a time when we start to realize that we can't take on everything by ourselves. We don't have to, and we shouldn't have to. So what I ask is this. What would it look like for us to create a space for us to look over our inner selves and figure out what we need? What did the younger version of us need when we were first told to be self-sufficient? And what would it look like for us to invite someone to come and sit on our mat with us? To let them in on the uncomfortable, hard, not so pretty parts that we're dealing with. To think about what that would look like for us not to have taken on everything by ourselves, but rather releasing some of that pressure off of our shoulders by letting someone else in on it. Like, have you ever had a really hard day and you just like went and vented about it and you could just feel the pressure coming off of your chest by just voicing it? That glorious feeling of no longer having to drag the weight of it all. And this can be a trial and error thing, right? Like, it's okay if we try something out and it doesn't end up working how we thought it would or how we needed it to, so we try to think of something different, another way to figure out what we need or voice to another person what we need. I think the key part here is reminding ourselves to continue to try. Continue to try to figure out our needs and continue to try and voice them to others. Because think about how beautiful and freeing life can be when we don't feel trapped within ourselves but rather let someone in and come sit with us on our mats. Thank you for listening to this episode. Peace and blessings, everyone.